Perceptions Podcast. The future, it seems, is less like a cable car ride towards the mountaintop of progress and more like a roller coaster. Strap yourself in for unexpected twists and turns. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? I didn't have the time to write this podcast script, so I asked ChatGPT to do it for me. Just kidding. But could you really tell? In fact, could you even tell if this were my voice or not merely some AI version of my less than baritone tonsils? You know, I could be lying on some beach somewhere, soaking up the Western Australian summer sun and letting technology do the work for me. Which is, to some extent, true. There's a good chance, as you listen to this, I am lying on a beach somewhere soaking up some summer sun. It's not like it's live. It's not like I'm in the room with you speaking. Technology is even giving you the soundscape to transport you to wherever my producer wishes to take you. Feeling discomforted? Feeling discombobulated? AI knew you would be, so it asked you those questions to calm your jangled nerves. Skynet, Terminator 2, is only a season or so away for a DeLorean philosophy. Okay, so I'm jesting with you, you hope, but there's a lot of change coming down the line in 2024. And a lot of reaction to that change. You can bet your bottom dollar or your Bitcoin on that. The change in how we communicate and who communicates for us is central to all of this, isn't it? In fact, The Economist, that most august of organs, nominated its word of the year for 2023 just the other day. And after a few caveats, the word of the year is a noun. The Economist announced that its word of the year is chat GPT. Or at least someone, and we hope it is a someone and not a something, came up with that word, that noun, and nominated it, chat GPT. I have to say, as a writer, I was somewhat sceptical and not at all worried when I heard that ChatGPT would be writing emails, legal documents, essays, and even blogs. Not at all worried and somewhat sceptical. It couldn't write in the manner in which I write, after all, could it? You see, there's something vanilla about ChatGPT. It's not actually coming up with new material, just old material in a kind of newish way. For I have a superpower that even Chat. GPT does not have. My blogging, my books and writing in general have, in my view at least, a way of slightly twisting words and ideas and shaping them in ways that chat GPT just can't do. Mind you, I was totally unnerved the other day when I was hanging out for some Christmas time with family and my sister-in-law, a super bright academic with plenty of tech nows, asked me for a blog post topic that I often speak about. And then she plugged it into AI. 
And it was unnerving. Like waking up after drifting off to sleep when driving, I was all heart racing. Whoa! That was way too close for comfort. Way too close. It sounded just like me. Now, having said that, do you think ChatGPT could come up with that driving metaphor I just came up with for the shock that I felt? I doubt it. Not this year anyway. Not in 2024. It was way too arcane or way too creative. Way too, how can we put it? Way too human. That's how I feel, at least, for the moment. So where's it all going? Where is it all going in 2024? Well, who knows? Sadly, who knows? And maybe it seems churlish of a podcast called Zolorian Philosophy that seeks to understand the future for me to simply throw my hands into the air and go, meh. But part of the unpredictability of the future is the future. And that is one big fear for 2024. Whatever next. One wonders what 2024 will bring. For we live in a time of what is now called rapid discontinuous change. The future, it seems, is less like a cable car ride towards the mountaintop of progress that science once promised us, and more like a roller coaster. Strap yourself in for unexpected twists and turns. It's either a golden future awaiting us, or it's a zombie apocalypse. Who knows? Take your pick, place your bets. Which one will it be? And for some things, many things it would seem, that future is out of our control. Pandemic 2.0, anyone? It is in times such as these that we find ourselves, or at least elements within our society find themselves polarizing, moving to the extremes in order to determine how to navigate the future and also how to set a possible future in opposition to someone else's idea of where the future should go. For a start, think about technology that is throwing up this AI stuff we're talking about. Is AI the solution to many of our global problems? Will it help streamline health diagnoses? Will it make legal advice cheaper and universal? Will it free up staff and practitioners to undertake more important humane activities? Or is AI the portent of a less humanized and humanizing culture? Now, there's a great UK series called Humans a few years back. You might remember it. And predictably, the artificial intelligence in the show looked exactly like, well, looked exactly like us, like humans. I wonder why everyone keeps doing that. And as the husband of a clinical psychologist, there was something macabre watching one of the shows where an AI therapist of a level of sophistication well above anything that actually exists that's how sci-fi works after all, doesn't it? It just extends reality. This AI therapist was charting a path through a marriage mess of two humans, two actual humans, sitting in front of it. And we go, never, we'll never let that happen. How dehumanizing that is. But then think about this. If you've been on a six month waiting list to see a therapist in Australia, and increasingly many people have, then that might be the difference between a spiral of mental health and some sanity. And think about it. 
Time was, not long ago, just before the pandemic in fact, that telehealth online services were rare. Now, they're being pitched to a whole generation of younger people, many younger people who are less likely than ever to pick up a phone and actually book a session with a therapist online with their voice. They're now seeing online as the way forward. Fill in a form and voila, they will handpick the right therapist for you. And at the moment, that therapist is still a human being. At the moment. Yet for every online health assessment, every corporate law firm using AI, there will be, and there is, an equal and opposite pushback. Protest movements will arise. Counters to what is seen as post-incarnational life, in which relationships, human relationships, are increasingly mediated by impersonal technologies. And we see this in the rise of what is known as the craft movement. And by craft, I don't mean craft groups. I mean handcrafted. That's been a staple already in things like beer brewing. There's a whole cottage industry pitched on being, well, on being a cottage industry. And we see this in church groups that eschew the big corporate-sized megachurches, though there are still plenty mega churches, of course, because people are looking for something more handmade more personal, more human. And in a challenge to AI, up will spring vibrant, creative writing communities that meet monthly on a farm somewhere upstate, where writerly types will not merely gnash and foam against the march of technology, but will ensure that their writerly species, living, breathing content creators, remains intact. Well, that's my hope anyway. That's how I like to think of the battle. A battle between the forces of darkness AI, obviously, and the forces of light, real writers such as I. And as with the TV series, Humans, what starts off as a good idea, this technology, a way to serve humanity, ends up becoming a polarised pitched battle, two sides fighting out two very different visions of where humans should go. Which brings us to politics. And if you're in the United States listening to this, then there's another presidential election due. Didn't we just have one, you say? And if you're in the UK, there's a government election coming up this year as well. And the polarisation is even deeper and wider than it was, say, three, four years ago, or four years before that even. Such polarisation is widespread now across the West, and we're seeing it in the latest Israeli-Hamas conflict. We see it in issues around gender and sexuality, climate change, race relations. The future in the West is just looking more and more polarised. We even saw it here in Australia with the recent referendum on The Voice. It was yes or no, and that was it. The future envisaged by your political, racial, sexual enemies is a zombie apocalypse future. Don't go there. Avoid it at all costs. And the future your crowd is envisaging well, it's a beautiful future that we all could have if we could just get everyone to line up behind it. Which kind of means that we're no longer persuaded by persuasion. I think that's obvious going into 2024. Here's what I mean. We're less and less sure that persuasion, a well put together argument, will win people over. It hasn't seemed to in the past few years, so why should it in the future? Hence, we are less persuaded by persuasion and increasingly more persuaded 
by power. What's the point of persuading a cohort that has no intention of being persuaded? The future we're envisioning cannot be left in the hands of the democratic process, can it? So naked power is back on the table. At the same time, we have seen pushback in a number of areas that many had thought were settled, especially socially. The at times fierce battle around trans issues, especially among minors who were receiving affirming treatment only, seemed to be settled, until it wasn't. For a few years, it was full steam ahead with hormone drugs and surgeries across the West, affirmation extending to mental health workers in the US, UK and Australia, and workers being warned that non-affirming practitioners might face sanction. And now suddenly, things have flipped or at least slowed down. And just recently, the Australian and New Zealand Royal Society of Psychiatry put out a paper cautioning against affirmation as the only strategy, indeed stating that it was not the best strategy in many circumstances and may well be harmful to some people. This drew, as you would expect, deep praise from those quarters who were highly suspicious of the rise of rapid onset gender dysphoria among young teen girls, and also groups including activists and affirming practitioners who said this was a disaster. No doubt the courts will sort it out if legislators don't. And this polarisation is just the tip of the iceberg. I think we can expect to see a lot more battle lines being drawn, especially as a newer generation comes to the fore, a newer generation that seems less reflexively committed to liberal ideas and ideals to sort out our deepest differences. Yet here's a caution. Events can catch us out. Black Swan events that either change the path of the future or fast-track some of the changes that are already on the horizon, below pandemic and telehealth, for example. Even our more minor predictions can prove to be way out. So, so we read this slice of history, listen to this, from the New York Times this past week, as it seeks to predict the twists and turns of 2024 on the roller coaster. Now here's them quoting New York Times reporter David Pogue back in 2006, who scoffed at the idea of Apple coming out with a phone. Think about that. Here's what he said. Look, I'd love an Apple phone. On this point, I'll be delighted to turn out to be wrong. I think cell phones are as ripe for a radical rethink as the online music store was when Apple set up iTunes. But let's not go all wiggy every time someone passes around an iPhone rumor on the web. Odds are, it's just there to get you riled up. Whoops! (laughs) That's up there with the celebrated TV weatherman in the UK, the wonderfully named Michael Fish, who just hours before the biggest storm to hit Britain ever reached land in October 1987, said this to the millions of people watching the BBC News. Earlier on today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she heard there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry. There isn't. Now, how bad was the ensuing storm? Well, the town of Seven Oaks, named hundreds of years prior for the famous seven ancient oak trees in the town, had two oaks left standing the next day. Well, that's kind of funny. Seven Oaks becomes two oaks. But even David Pogue in 2006, had he envisaged the iPhone, could not have seen that it was not merely a parallel to iTunes. Apple iPhone has not simply changed the way we communicate, 
it has changed us. Smartphones in general have, with iPhone leading the way. And the rise and ubiquity of social media platforms on phones in the 18 years since Pogue's assertion, that's right, 2006, was 18 years ago, has fueled the political and social polarisation that we're seeing. Such technologies have allowed us to imbibe more and more information that suits our beliefs and to avoid the sort of information that doesn't. And then there's the aforementioned tide of anxiety, which has seen health professionals under the pump. As Jonathan Haidt, the New York University psychology professor, points out conclusively from the research data, social media is inextricably linked to the rise of anxiety in teens and early 20s, to the rise of the fear of cancel culture, the invasive nature of toxic ideas, the constant seeking of online approval. We often don't predict the biggest changes that a technology will make, whether we predict the rise of the technology or not. After all, we shape our tools and then they shape us. So where's it all headed? Now, there's something ironic about asking that question, given what I've just said. I mean, who can say? Who dare say where it's all headed? The things that we can find to solve our problems in 2024. Who wishes for the sturdy oaks of their sevenfold certainty to be felled by the cruel winds of eventuality? Take that, chat GPT. You'd never come up with that. But I want to close with perhaps a prediction that we could not have uh, predicted if we'd cast our minds back a few decades to the rise of what is now referred to as the new atheism. The idea that was gaining traction that somehow science was finally going to put the struggling, straining religious ideation of an increasingly incredulous West to the sword once and for all. The confidence of the so-called four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and Richard Dawkins of the God Delusion fame, was invigorating 20 years ago, exhilarating and inevitable, until it too wasn't. It seems funny to think about it now, but the idea that God and transcendence would become a thing of the past has itself become a thing of the past certainly going into 2024, that seems to be the prediction. And while it's true that church attendance is still spiralling across the Western world, the ache for meaning and purpose outside of the closed system of materialism that atheism promised has continued. In fact, it's ramped up actually. It's spiked to the point that everybody in late 2023 and into 2024 is writing about it. Transcendence, it seems, is back big time. From Christian apologist and broadcaster Justin Brearley in his excellent book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, to writers and thinkers such as Paul Kingsnorth, the ubiquitous Jordan Peterson, A.N. Hersey Alley, God is back on the table going into the future. And writing in the Guardian newspaper just the other day, in an article entitled the zeitgeist is changing, a strange romantic backlash to the tech era looms, non-believer Ross Barkin says this, The new romanticism has arrived, butting up against and even outright rejecting 
the empiricism that reigned for a significant chunk of this century. Backlash is bubbling against tech's dominance of everyday life, particularly, is the word, the godlike algorithms, their true calculus still proprietary that rules all of digital existence. So just as we noted, there's an equal and opposite reaction to the efficient but soulless technological kingdom that we were promised. Now, not that the future is particularly Christian, but it will be part of it. More so than the four horsemen feared. This is what Barkin goes on to say. Church attendance, long the barometer of the US devotion to the unseen, has continued to plummet. But taking its place isn't any of the pugnacious new atheism that tugged at the discourse for a stretch of the 2000s. Instead, it's what can be loosely termed spirituality, a devotion to astrology, witchcraft, magic, and manifestation that has emerged, particularly among the young. Did anyone see that future coming? The future may pit a withering Christianity against a neo-pagan spirituality, but either way, atheism is being put to the sword. Not everywhere, and not as a supposed public reality, but in the imaginations of the next generations who will shape the world. And Catholic columnist in the New York Times, Ross Duthat, has a more nuanced spin on it. He says this, Does the future belong to the secular progressivism of an ageing West, the supernaturalist Christianity of a youthful Africa, or to the collision of both with some sort of emergent post-Christian spirituality, the rise of techno-religion, or the return of pagan magic. It sounds like it's going to be something of the latter. Either way, orthodox Christianity or some form of mashup spirituality, the future is going to be defined as roller coaster and not cable car, at least in terms of spiritual beliefs in the Western world going into the future. And look, that kind of makes sense. It makes sense of a time in which rapid discontinuous change is knocking the stuffing out of many people in the West, knocking the wind out of our sails. What will 2024 bring? No one dares think a happier, newer year or a newer you, do they? For all of the promise of technology, all of the Apple ads in which an iPhone liberates you to be a better you, rather than bind you within your own internal anxious algorithms, for all the power struggles we will see unfold, elections held, winners crowing, losers raging, there's a strong sense that we need something more, something beyond us if we are to avert the zombie apocalypse. So that's the future in 2024, perhaps. But perhaps I'll leave the last word for this episode and this season to Justin Brearley, who in his aforementioned book, the surprising rebirth of belief in God, makes this observation, an observation about the Christianity that has shaped the West over 2,000 years and its place in our future. And we would do well to take these thoughts with us into the new year. Here's what he says as I close. Tides go out and tides come in. Their regular movement is governed by the natural laws that operate in our world. Human life is subject to the same rhythms that nature imposes on the world. Seed time and harvest, work and rest, death and rebirth. 
and human history itself seems to mirror nature with its own repetitive cycles as nations rise and fall and empires come and go. The cultural influence of religion is likewise prone to ebb and flow. We sound more human than tech, don't we? And then he finishes with this. 2,000 years ago, a wandering rabbi stood on a beach and called a bunch of fishermen to put down their nets, follow him, and fish for people instead. Together, they changed the world. Like them, I believe we are standing on the shores of human history, waiting for a tide that is about to rush back in. Perhaps now is the time to answer his call again. See you in the rest of 2024. Well, that's the end of season two of DeLorean Philosophy. It's been a bit of a ride, more of a roller coaster than anything else. I'm looking forward to coming back uh, by the end of February, I'm hoping to, if the future lets me do that. I'll see you then. An Undeceptions podcast.